You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host of the Seeky Excellence Podcast. <laughs> and I'm joined today with my friend, Kimberly Hebert. Kimberly, how are we doing? Good. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, uh, we're recording this at the end of a, of a good weekend. I, this is the first time in a while that I feel like I've had like very, very minor like Sunday scaries, you know, just like thinking of how much work I have ahead of me this mm-hmm. week. But um, but yeah, still feeling feeling good going into the week tomorrow. Good. I'm yeah. glad. Thank you. Do you go by Kim or Kimberly? I, I never asked you this. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm going through an identity crisis right now. Because... <laughs> so I've, I've always gone by Kimmy. Um, oh, but when I started interviewing for jobs and stuff like that, I started going by Kimberly for that. So at work, I go by Kimberly. And outside of, outside of work, I go by Kimmy, but they kind of overlap a lot. So it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's an adventure for all of us. That's really interesting. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like people ask me all the time between Nate or Nathan, and I feel like nobody believes me when I tell them that I don't care. Um, but for anybody out there that that does care, I do. The only time I specify is I love, I, I love Nathan Crankfield. Like I don't like Nate Crankfield. So if it's written or said in my full name, I hate when it's Nate. But that's the only time I really have any preference. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. I yeah. I feel like I also. Yeah. I'm like that with my own name also. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, good to know. I'm glad I introduced you full name then, um, <laughs> but very excited to talk to you today. I'm so pumped. I think conversations like these, you know, I think are very uh, mentally invigorating for me. I think I really enjoy talking about some of these topics we're going to tackle today. And I think you've got a really great story. So I, I really love to start with that. Just kind of introducing who you are, where you're from, how you came to the church. You got a pretty baller, baller background. So baller, take it away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I grew up in Southern California, a small town ish desert. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, but yeah, I grew up non-denominational, uh, Protestant. Um, I went to like a mega church for most of my life. Um, and yeah, it was fine. I think I, I took it pretty seriously growing up. Um, 
yeah. And then in seventh grade, I was like, oh, have a relationship with Jesus. That's crazy. And then I kind of went down that route of, of praying more and like reading the Bible and stuff like that. Um, and it was also in middle school that I, yeah, had a lot of friends who were Catholic. Um, and so they seemed to take their faith seriously. So that was just kind of interesting to me. Um, cause I didn't think that Catholics did that or yeah, I don't think I knew a lot about Catholics at all, but, um, I had an impression that they didn't read the Bible, um, and they didn't like have a relationship with God. So I was like, oh, okay, it seems like they do. So that's cool. Um, yeah. And then in high school, um, I was dating a guy who was Catholic and, uh, my mom had recently gotten married to a guy who's Catholic. So both of us would kind of do research on Catholicism together. Um, yeah. And then me and the guy I was dating, we would kind of talk about our differences in beliefs. Um, yeah. And then I just started to agree with Catholic teaching on things, um, look a lot of things up on Catholic answers and yeah. And then eventually I, yeah, had like a whole, a different identity crisis, maybe a worse one, uh, sure. more intense, <laughs> but, but yeah. And so I kind of knew that I was going to convert to Catholicism, but I wasn't quite there yet. Right. And yeah. And then I think another year or so went by after that. Um, and I was on a mission trip in Mexico with my Protestant church. And they were just talking about like going into full-time missions basically. Um, mm. And they were talking about how, if this is something that you're called to, uh, you should jump on it basically. And that your family might not support you and the church you're at might not support you, but you'll find a church that does. And like in that, you'll find a family that does also. Wow. Um, and I was just like, this kind of applies to me converting. And then, right. yeah. yeah, we, we had prayer partners and I remember like the most emotional night we were paired up with our prayer partners to talk about what we took away from the talk. And I told her and she was kind of like, okay, yeah. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> that was <the> message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she That's was, funny. she was pretty chill about it, but for the, that was like a Thursday and we were with each other like the whole group was together until Sunday. So after that, everybody was like, what's your takeaway from this week and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't really want to talk about it. Right, yeah, um, <laughs> and then, yeah, like Saturday night, the last night we were put into like discussion groups and, and I told them and my poor discussion group leader was like, uh, <laughs> wow. um, yeah. And, and it was a whole thing. There was a girl in my discussion group who like talked to me afterwards and was just asking me questions and I had answers that she wasn't satisfied with, but I was like, mm. I, I like have a relationship with God. Like we just met, but, but I, I discerned this. Um, I'm not, cause she was very much like, why are you trying to earn your faith and stuff like that? And I was like, I'm oh, not yeah, classic. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, well, then if you have a relationship with God, like, why do you want to, like, what's the point in changing things? And yeah. I was like, well, at the time I was very like, whatever helps most. So I was like, I think the sacraments would help me. Um, mm. And maybe they wouldn't help everyone, but they would help me, which since then, um, yeah, I now know that the sacraments would help everyone, but that's right. a different thing. Yeah. Anyway. So then after that, I told my parents and uh, yeah enrolled in RCIA. 
Mm-hmm. I love it. And what year was that? Or like what grade was that for you? Yes. So I was in 10th. This was the s- mm-hmm. summer after 10th grade, I think. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I remember when we talked uh, on the phone in, in preparation for this, you tell me about that. And I think I was like, I think you're like the maybe third, including myself person who I've known, who's like converted on your own as a teenager, which is pretty dope. Yeah. It's not super common. And every time people are like, wait, why, how? <laughs> right. Yours, yeah. especially too, for not going to Catholic schools. I think, yes. you know, once I yeah. tell people I was going to Catholic school, I feel like they're kind of like, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like that makes a little bit more sense. Cause I was like, you know, way steep in it, but you were just kind of out there in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And the Lord just snagged true. you up. Yeah. yeah I love he it. Did. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. And so obviously one of the things you really want to talk about tonight, you know, was you going on to, to college and you got into, to what I've told you before, you know, on the East coast is basically Ivy league for us. Right? You, know what <laughs> I mean? you talk about uh, the school that you went to um, and especially the majors. So you went to UC Berkeley majored in ethnic studies, um, which is, you know, to give context to people, we met uh, on a work call talking between your job and, and uh, Hallow and uh, connect on LinkedIn afterwards. I noticed your major in your school and I was like, oh, we need to talk more, you know, like, <laughs> curious uh, what a UC Berkeley grad in uh, ethnic studies has to say about a lot of things, especially one who's practicing Catholic and works for a Catholic institution. Because I, I feel like in a lot of like conservative, uh, you know, worlds or talking, you know, um, yeah, commentators, things like that, like UC Berkeley. I literally was just listening to the authoritarian moment by Ben Shapiro. And he talks about when he was speaking at UC Berkeley and it was like huge protests and riots. Like you were probably there, yeah. I think at that time. Um, we're not like yeah, you were at the I riots. So. I don't know if you yeah. were there, but yeah, I, don't no. know the time. Um, I think that was before my time. Yeah. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So anyways, would love and if you want to share what you do now, I feel like I, I'm going to cut you off in your life story from where you, where you are now. But if you want to share that before you go into UC Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, yes. So I went to Berkeley um, from Berkeley. I graduated and uh, now I work at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology, uh, which is also in Berkeley um, as the Berkeley, the city. Um, and yeah, it's it's a grad school. Uh, and also a seminary for Dominicans in the Western province of the United States. Love it. And the main one is in DC. You told me, right? Um, yeah. So the, the DC is for the Eastern province in the United okay. States. Yeah. And then this one's the Western province. Gotcha. So not necessarily the main one, just the other one. Yeah. They just have, they have a much larger internet presence. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> noted. Noted. I love it. <laughs> So great. So I'd love, you know, for me, I think it's really interesting that you converted in high school and then you went to UC Berkeley and and chose your major. Really curious to know, obviously, like what led you to choosing that as your major um, and just kind of what your like discernment process was in that uh, or decision making process, you know. Um, But also, if you think that your Catholic roots influence that or if your Protestant roots influence that or like what your kind of perspective is on how your faith might have played a role in you pursuing that degree. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I definitely did. Uh, so I didn't know what ethnic studies was, um, really. I knew my senior year in high school that I wanted to study. Yeah, okay. I knew I wanted to go into nonprofit work. Um, and I knew that I wanted to study something about cultures. Um, mm. And that had to do with, I guess, a couple of things. Um I think mainly in 
yeah, with, with Catholic friends and even my youth group, I experienced uh, different cultures. So uh, my youth group was YFL, which is Youth for Family and Life, which is a branch of CFC, which is Couples for Christ, which is a branch of FFL, which is um, something family and life. Anyways, it's it started in the Philippines. And so um, it kind of came here as people um, from the Philippines came to the United States and would started it, start chapters here. And then that's a lot of how I encountered, um, yeah, I guess just different families and different yeah. ways of viewing family. Um, yeah, my parents are divorced. So uh, I was never really close to a family that their parents weren't divorced. So it was, it was just kind of a different different experience and they were Catholic and yeah. So, so there was that. And then also, um, in the guy I was dating was Mexican and he was also in that youth group. And I spent a lot of time with his family as well. And, um, I took, yeah, I took five years of Spanish classes. So learned a lot about Spanish culture and stuff like that in that or Mexican culture, um, not Spanish culture really, but I guess a little bit. And, um, yeah, but yeah. And so, uh, that's kind of what made me realize that culture really shapes people's worldviews, um, and like the way they're raised Mm. in that culture and stuff like that. And so, so I wanted to study that to better understand, um, the way other people think that was really it. And, uh, when I decided to come to Berkeley, ethnic studies was, uh, seemed to be the, the closest thing to that. Um, so that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope. Yeah. I think, you know, I love the way you said that culture shapes people's worldviews. I feel like that's underestimated when it comes to politics, uh, on both sides. You know, I think that the, the left is very good at emphasizing like ethnic cultures, you know, um, and the right will sometimes ignore the way that those can shape people's worldviews and their experiences and things like that. And on the left, I feel like that what they miss sometimes is realizing that like, uh, you know, there's like this assumption that I will be black almost because of, or I'll be Democrat because I'm black, but like lack of understanding of like how much college culture and like uh, university culture can shape people to become more and more liberal or growing up in a place like California or New York city, you know, in some of these like really liberal strongholds versus uh, the South and things like that. And understanding that like outside of your race, there's also other like cultural factors, you know, where you live, country you grew up in all those kinds of things that really shape your values and priorities as well. And I think both sides miss both um, mm-hmm. in different ways, you know what I mean? But it is an interesting thing. So yeah, that's really awesome. And so what did you hope to gain like from that? You know, I feel like it's a classic, we talked about this on the phone, you know, like the classic, uh, you know, I feel like friends, parents, or like your aunt or uncle at, you know, Thanksgiving, that's like, so what are you going to do with that? You know, like what was your hope to, to do long-term with that degree? Or what did you hope? Not only not only the, the aunt and uncle question, but also from like a, formational perspective like what did you hope to become like who'd you hope to become through that experience yeah fun little anecdote when I told my godfather that I was going to major in ethnic studies he (laughs) said oh so you want to be unemployed when you graduate (laughs) that's the spirit yep that's the the encouragement (laughs) we're looking for for sure but uh yeah I think yeah job wise wanted to do nonprofit work um yeah I've never really cared about prestige and in fact like I don't know, rejected it. So, um, there was a part of me that was like, Oh, maybe I can study like cognitive science. Cause that could also help me understand how people think in theory. Um, but I, 
I rejected it because like it would help me get a job easier. I don't know. I like, didn't like it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm stubborn. Um, but, but yeah, I guess, yeah, mainly I just, I don't know. I just wanted to understand how people think and and hopefully be able to help people. Um, and I, yeah, I would say in a lot of ways, that's what I got from it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think a little bit more complicated than that, um, in terms of like sorting through a lot of information. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. And so what was your faith journey? Like from the time you converted until like you're up at this point, let's say like junior in college, like how had it, or, or all the way through, you know, your college years, like how did it evolve and change? You know, I, I often share my story that I had a very like emotional, I think yours was more logical than mine as a teenager. Mine was very like emotional based. It was just kind of what I was familiar with, what was close to me. And so I was just like, yeah, I'll just become Catholic. It just makes sense. Um, but it definitely was not a deep decision. You know, it was very shallow. And so when I was in college was when I really started to look at kind of like, I always say my question was, what's the best way to live? And if I'm going to be Catholic, why? Um, and trying to find answers to those questions, you know, and starting to share my faith more. I learned a lot and had to answer a lot of questions for others that helped me to answer a lot of questions in myself that I didn't know I had or showed, shown a lot of light on my areas of ignorance. So what was your kind of like, yeah, I think anything you do, you know, like I, we talked about this too, like when you're 15, even though you had more logical answers, like you were still 15, you know? And so I'm sure you still look back at your 15 year old self and probably didn't have it all figured out then. Um, so what, how, how did it kind of evolve through, through your later teen years and then college? Yeah. So during high school, um, I think that I didn't take sin very seriously. Um, or I guess in a, in a sense that I did, um, in a sense that I was very guilty about it, but, um, not, I guess I didn't realize that I could just like try not to sin. Um, but yeah. yeah. And so then, uh, going to college, I kind of, I had kind of hit a low point of like insecurity and, and realizing, um, I guess how sinful I was, but it was kind of a point of despair that I just didn't think I could do better. And so I dedicated myself to, to serving, um, in the church. Like I wanted to serve others, but I didn't think that I could do better myself. So I wanted to help others know God, but I, I didn't think that I could know God any better than I already did, I Mm. guess. Not because I thought I knew God really well, but because, um, yeah, I thought I was just, just stuck. Kind of like a cat. Yeah. You had a limit on you. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so yes, during COVID, which was my second year in college, um, yeah, I, I went home for a couple of months and then I came back to Berkeley in May um, of 2020. And then I, I lived with, yeah, these two girls who were, who were Catholic and I had never lived with Catholics before. Um, and so I stayed with them for about a month. And then there was another friend that we had who was in town and he was living alone because his roommates were back home. Mm. Um, so the four of us would hang out like all the time because it was COVID. Right. Um, and living COVID in California, not just yeah, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. COVID in Berkeley. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah. Extra lot. Yeah. We were like afraid to drive around in the car together. Cause we were like, if someone pulls us over and asks if we all live together, we can't say yes because like, yeah. Right. Don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Dang. um, we did it anyways, but anyways, yeah. Um, 
and it was it was cool the the church that we went to the parish the college parish was um having mass uh private masses but they were like if people want to pray in the chapel while we're having a private mass like we're not going to turn them away right um, yeah. <laughs> i heard priests doing priests yeah. doing that yeah so so it was fun um and I think I learned a lot about myself in that time Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, because I was just living with people who had so much time to observe me. <laughs> um, mm. And yeah. And so just through small, small observations that they would make, I learned a lot about myself and just having a lot of time. Yeah. Um, I was, I was taking classes, but was I? Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, so yeah, I think that that started to change a lot. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then I think it was, I started realizing, yeah. So I, I started dating a different guy. A lot of things happened through relationships and, um, he, he was like, yeah, let's be saints. And I was like, what? <laughs> I like, it never even occurred to me, um, that that was a possibility or like yeah. a thing to strive for. Um, so, so yeah, I guess it was, it was through that, that I, yeah, started to strive for a perfection nowhere mm-hmm. near it yet, but yeah. And then right. through that, I started, the goal. yeah. And then it was because of that, like, like I started reading a lot of books and I started like praying more and I was like, okay, like I'm not stuck. Like there's not a cap. Um, right. and so, uh, yeah, unless you create one, unless I create one. Yeah. yeah, totally. And so obviously that was a lot, that was a lot to unpack until like, it took time to actually believe that. Um, sure, yeah. but yeah, I think it was through that, that I learned a lot more, um, about the faith, um, yeah. and about God. That's awesome. I love it. And so if you, if you were a sophomore at two weeks to slow the spread, then did you graduate early? You yes. must've, right? Yeah. Dang. So you went to Berkeley and you graduated early. So here's the thing. That's a fault. <laughs> yeah. Were you like a 1500 on your SAT scores? Or like how- No, actually my SAT scores were like, like compared to people here, they weren't great. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't study for the SAT ever. I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. Dang. That's say. crazy. Yeah. Well, good for you. That's amazing. Um, that's great. So I, I love it. So I think, uh, yeah, lots of good stuff in there. And obviously, yeah. When you start to have that kind of transition into like, wait, sainthood's actually possible. It is crazy. You know, and I, I'm, I look forward to hearing where you're at in five years, you know, because it is such a journey and so much begins to unpack and grow. And I'm also interested because like, I, I don't know if you listened to any of my podcasts before, but I just recently did ones on how I became more conservative. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I had interesting progress as I became more orthodox, especially in my faith and more, you know, in love with tradition and the church and uh, church's authority and all of these things, how it, it led to me becoming more conservative in a lot of ways. And so interested, I, I'm always interested in people's journeys, but, uh, yeah, I know we talked on the phone too. So let's talk about some of the stuff you learned in your ethnic studies classes. I know you kind of have a thesis of what you want to share with the world today, so we can probably lead with that, but interested to hear some of the things that you learned, your, some of your biggest takeaways, um, and then to, yeah, kind of weed through what do you think was in alignment with Catholic faith, what was contrary to it. And I think uh, the question that me and a lot of people who listen to this want to know is like, is it as woke as we think it is? Like, were you in there just, you know, every like class introduction, you got like give your pronouns. Like I imagine it's just like 
BLM flags everywhere, like uh, safe spaces. I'm thinking, you know, like people are just triggered constantly. And like, <laughs> you got like liberal tears every time, like they see an American flag. Like, is it, is it what I expect or, or what was kind of the overall experience? I just asked you like 11 questions. You can take whichever one you want first. <laughs> Great. Um, I'll start with the last one because Great. it's on my mind. I, love um, it. I would say yes. All the things that you described, mm. um, I would say yes. And what a world. yeah, such a world. Um, but I, I would also say that I think, I think that people, yeah, I guess it's, it's different in an academic setting where mm-hmm. everyone is studying these things. Um, so in terms of like yeah. using pronouns and like, like, yeah, just, all the stereotypes, um, they exist, but I think in a lot of ways, they're less performative than they could be outside of that space because people are like spending, like they're dedicating everything, um, to thinking about these things. Yeah. People like Um, genuinely are living it out. I see a lot of people, sorry to interrupt real quick. I see a lot of people on Instagram, especially who I'm like, sometimes I'm shook, you know what I mean? I look and I'm like, damn, they got the the Instagram pronouns in the bio. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's hard. You know, I just feel like I'm like, they don't really believe that, you know, like I I almost have, I think I was taught by, uh, Oh, was this priest? He was pretty hardcore. Uh, definitely disagree with him on some things, but pretty hardcore priest. I was at the Mount. He was working for the seminary when I was in college at Mount St. Mary's. Um, and it would be like the Berkeley, like your safety school, safety school, the school that I went to, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) the Berkeley student, like your fallbacks, fallbacks. Um, this is cool. I went to, and we had this priest there and he would talk about like how he had more respect for like terrorists or people who were like really passionate about something, even if it was driven in the wrong thing, than people who were just apathetic all around, you know? And I think that I almost have, I do have more appreciation for people who are like consistent in their like wokeness than people who just kind of like dabble in it and don't believe it, but just do it to kind of like pander and like virtue signal, um, versus like, which I think is, I think I have no stats for this, but like, I think it's like 85% of the people who do it, do it for that. Because most people don't like, you look at the stats of people who like believe gender ideology versus stats of people who have pronouns in the bio. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> add up. You know what I mean? Um, but anyways, that's a whole derail. We can talk about that later. Um, so sorry. I, I don't know why I felt the urge to say that, but. No. Um, yeah. I think I, I fully agree with that. And yeah, I think it, it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever read the great divorce by oh, yeah. C.S. Lewis. Love it. Um, but yeah, the, the image, there's an image of like, this guy has like a salamander or something on his shoulder, um, as he's in purgatory. And I think the salamander is like lust or something. It symbolizes lust. And, and, um, the guy is just having this battle to like, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and CS Lewis says something, something like that, where, where it's, it's better for the people that are passionate about something than for the people that are apathetic, because then right. when they do have a conversion, um, it'll be, they'll be super passionate about God. Yeah. You basically. just change directions. Yeah. yeah. And what you're putting that passion into, but people who are apathetic before are apathetic after typically, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's great. That's a great, yeah. That's a great analogy, but yeah. Keep describing the, uh, the yes. woke utopia. <laughs> I'm so curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. One of the most interesting things, I guess, is that uh, professors tend to be much less like, quote unquote, woke 
um, mm -hmm. less radical, like ethnic studies professors. Um, and I think that, yeah, oftentimes like the students would be kind of upset because the professors weren't radical enough, um, which was just an interesting, interesting dynamic. And also, um, I think says something about like, yeah, like what is ethnic studies academia actually look like, mm -hmm. um, versus like how much of it is just like people are in college and saying things, um, right. not to say that they don't think them through because they do. Uh, but I think people tend to mellow out even if they still subscribe to the same ideas. Sure. Yeah. And I think the, the loudest ones get the most acknowledgement, right. And the most publicity. So like Robin D'Angelo teaches at university of Washington and like, she's obviously super well-known because she's made a big splash in writing the book and um, which, yeah, I think was written in like 2018. It had a revival in 2020, actually. It wasn't actually written in 2020, like I originally thought. Um, but the, yeah, those types of professors get like all the, all the credit, you know? So you think to, to those of us on the outside, we're like, that's who's like everybody at Berkeley is like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's the easy <laughs> assumption. It's like every yeah. professor you had was like Robert D'Angelo, you know, and like told you that being white was, uh, yeah, evil inherently. Oh, is he, is that the, the, how to be an anti-racist? Is that what you're talking That's about? That's Ibram Kendi. Uh, Robin okay. D'Angelo wrote, um, white fragility. She ah, wrote white fragility. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, that's another interesting thing is I don't know a lot about like pop wokeism. <laughs> um, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I would have thought you had to like, you know, memorize white fragility. That, that would have been my assumption <laughs> coming into this because you were in an interesting time, like when you, when you talked about that, like the teachers not being that as woke as people would think, or people being upset with that. I took an African-American history class at uh, my high school. I think it was my senior year. And um, my one, my best friend at the time was the only white kid in the class, um, which is pretty fun. And we had a really good time. And the teacher who taught it was this really, really passionate history teacher. And he, he felt like we, the, the school needed to have the class and had a lot of respect. It was the first time he'd ever done the class um, and learned a ton. Uh, but like, it's interesting, like as I, as I went on and I like became more conservative, like I even assumed like, wait, was, was Mr. Irway like, was he woke? And then I'm like, no, he's not. Like, I know he's not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he's a patriotic dude. He's very reasonable. Um, he might not be like hard, you know, I'm not saying he's like a hard conservative, like a Trump fanatic or anything like that, but I, I definitely think he's at least, you know, in the middle. Um, but we didn't learn like a lot of wokeness, which showed me. And I think is good for people to hear that. Like I learned a lot about black history without like being brainwashed into wokeness, mm -hmm. you know, and like just learning the importance of that and people realizing a lot of your like genuine desires of like, I wanted to learn about other cultures and races and do nonprofit work and help people. Um, that like a lot of this stuff can actually help if it's framed directly. You know, I think we always have this like extreme swing back and like push back to these extremists. Uh, because you hear about the Robert D'Angelo's of the world and then you want to be like, well, let's just stop all of that in general. And it's like, well, maybe some of this is good. While it might yeah. not get you, you know, uh, be a straight trajectory to a exceptionally uh, financial success, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, and have its challenges in that, which can be overcome. I'm all for majoring things you're passionate about, not stuff that just makes you financially successful. Cause I think college is more than just a degree, but um yeah, I think that it still can have a lot of value in people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's interesting because I think, I think the biggest issue um, 
Yeah. Okay. I'll talk about the thing that I think is like aligns the most with the Catholic church. Sure. Um, and, and this is less of like a specific subject to point to, but more of a way of thinking, um, which is that ethnic studies, like a, like a whole part of, I would say the whole point of it is, is to, to criticize, um, it's to criticize the culture, um, and to be aware and not just accept things, um, just because those are, I guess, considered common sense, um, which might sound like super ironic to you based on how things are right now. Um, but, but that's, that's the point of it. And I would say, I think that's, that's a very Catholic thing, um, to, to question things. Um, but it's to, to question things for, for the sake of finding the truth. Um, not just question things forever. Um, yeah. And so I think what ethnic studies is missing is an end. Um, and I think it's because, because of the whole idea of subjective truth. Um, I think everything is cultural and there's no, there's no right way. So, so they can point to what's wrong um, which, which would be like enforcing other cultures on these cultures, which is the whole, the whole criticism of colonization and the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Catholic church doesn't force cultures. It forced, it doesn't force anything, but, but it, it sure. tries to demonstrate truth. Um, but if there is no truth, then the truth of the Catholic church just appears as another culture. Um, I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think I'm curious, you know, going from that, like this is, I just talked about it with somebody recently on the podcast, but I can't remember who it was or when I recorded it. Um, But we were talking about, I asked somebody, oh, it was a priest. It was Father Demon. Um, And we were asking about, you know, like, what is your take on cultural clubs, for lack of a better term, like within the church? So like Mm -hmm. here in Denver, we have like a whole office of Hispanic ministries. I think there's an office of like African-American ministry. Um, and one thing I really dislike, and I'm curious, is just like, what's your thoughts are on that or like culture in Catholicism? Cause obviously Catholicism has been under fire in the last like two years, especially mm-hmm. for colonizing or like forcing cultures, especially white cultures on people of color. And personally, what I don't like, what I feel like is an extreme reaction to that has been a lot of these other ministries that fight for a lot of, uh, things like representation and all this other stuff that, uh, end up bleeding out some of the truth and like foundational, like tradition and like the fullness of Catholicism by seeking to like have a lot of these values that can be Catholic. Like I think representation can be a Catholic, like compassionate thing to do. Um, I think that, uh, you know, having diversity and striving for not just, you know, putting all the white kids in a diverse school, you know what I mean? Like only picking the white kids for like the cover of the magazine every time, like that's bad. Like, I think there's like love and, and equality, like all of these things are Catholic. But what I've concerned with is somebody who's become more conservative as I've become more orthodox and seen the connection that I believe exists between those two is that I get so frustrated, especially as a black Catholic man, that so often when black leaders or black speakers are brought in, they bring with them pro BLM messages or pro, uh, you know, they're soft on abortion. If, if they mm-hmm. are, they'll, they'll admit to being pro-life, but they have a lot of caveats and a lot of you don't know how hard it is being pregnant and at risk. And, all, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. But like, 
can we like can we like be kind of more firm on this one or a lot of like very liberal like open border ideas and like there's just a lot of other things that come that i feel like they try to put through the catholic lens that really are just like very democratic mm-hmm. um and i mean like democratic party not you know uh everybody gets to vote type of democratic uh but <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i think there's a lot of other things that come with that and i think they can be divisive when you're talking about i've just seen it in parishes in texas especially where it's like you have one one church building but there's a spanish parish a hispanic parish and there's a, a white parish or a white and black parish sometimes you know what i mean and they like never intermingle and it's like they just kind of do their own thing it's like that's not what heaven's like you know there's not going to be a hispanic ministries in heaven there's not going to be a hispanic side of heaven uh, or a black side of heaven or an asian you know what i mean like i get you know like obviously honoring cultures and i think that it's great to like do things that that you know integrate them or like highlight specific cultures and feast days and things like that um, but I just think we get into a dangerous game sometimes with these like racially focused ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious your thoughts on any of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting because when you first uh, brought up kind of like cultural Catholic, I don't remember what term you used. Yeah. But the whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> The whole thing that you just said um, that I was listening to. No, I'm just kidding. I was. Um, But yeah, uh, what my first thought was like different rights, um, different Catholic rights. Yeah, Um, like R-I-T-E. Yeah, because um, because I think that's that's one of the most beautiful things that like nobody, not nobody, but like lots of people, if you're not Catholic and a lot of Catholics, too, don't know exist. Um, And they don't know much about it. Yeah. I, I think that like, we, we don't learn enough about it, I guess, but like people think that that Catholicism is like, like a Western European, uh, religion. And it's, it's not just that, um, not that that's a bad thing either, but, but there's other, there's Eastern rites also. Yeah. Um, but that was my first thought. Um, and as far as, yeah. What you're talking about, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think there's, yeah, I think it's something I'm torn on also, uh, cause mm-hmm. I think there, there is a place for it in that culture does affect people's worldview. Absolutely. Um, and so, so that affects also, um, I guess practices of faith a lot of the time. Uh, that said though, I think that, yeah, I, th- I think you're right that it can be very divisive because that's not the underlying thing. Like Catholicism should be the worldview um, if you're Catholic that, well, yeah, that like you're viewing everything from and then um, cultures are, are different practices of that. But Catholicism is the foundation. It's the first thing. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I, f- I, I want to say that I feel like there's a way that it could be done. Um, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. And it's hard to find who's doing it right. It is really challenging, you know, and I kind of feel like it's almost like this forced diversity kind of thing. And I think that, you know, we're going to talk about some of this stuff like affirmative action. Uh, and I just think that seldom do we in history have we found, I think good outcomes when we force diversity, like it's obviously like best when it's just organic. Um, and sometimes you have to force it, right? Like, I mean, like desegregation and things like that, like we have forced it and it's gone well in the past. Um, obviously Rocky at first, but then like leads to good outcomes. But when I think of like hiring a Hispanic ministries person, like to me, that just is like, well, we need to have a representative from the Hispanic, you know, side of the church 
Um, and we don't like naturally have that. So what if we open a position where somebody felt comfortable and called to do that? And I think that we don't put enough uh, ownership on ethnic minorities within the church to, to step up and do things. Like I remember when I worked for Dynamic Catholic and we worked with a lot of Spanish speaking parishes, they'd be like, why don't you have any Spanish speakers like doing videos and things like that? And I'm like, tell them to apply. Yeah. I'm like, it's not like we're just going through like, you know, rejecting everybody. I was like one of two or three black people that worked out of 80 people at the company. And I'm like, I can't be mad at Dynamic Catholic because I see who applies, yeah. you know, and like they didn't feel me out. I didn't face like any, you know, you know, I felt like special treatment or, or negative, like in the good way or the bad way. I didn't feel like I got hired because I was black. I didn't feel like I faced discrimination because I was black. And I'm like, but I see the applicants like I'm high enough that like I see what's happening. And mm-hmm. like, I'm like, people just aren't applying. And I think that's true a lot of times for Hispanics and, and black people within the church. It's like, well, if you're not trying to get involved in doing it, then you can't get upset that there's not like, I've always kind of had that, like, fill the need, like you see the need, fill the need. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do that as a black man in my life. That's why I went infantry. I went to ranger school as only black man in my platoon half the time, you know? And like, I was like, but I see black soldiers now who see me with my ranger tab and they think, oh, I could go do that. You know, mm-hmm. like be that person, be the Jackie Robinson. And we have it so much easier now to do those things, you know, where you don't have to face as much discrimination or hate. Um, so I'd like, I, I think I'm like, why not just get more involved and like be the voice and like speak up? I don't think there's a lot of priests out there who, if there wasn't a Hispanic ministries, uh, you know, spot wouldn't like acknowledge or like be uh, respectful of, of somebody who's a constant volunteer at the parish, like speaking up and being like, hey, maybe we could do something for our Lady of Guadalupe's feast day or Cinco de Mayo or something, you know what I mean? And like the pastor wouldn't like hear them out, but there's kind of like this, like, Oh, we have to like have a position to force it. Cause then I'll be heard. And it's like, no, just like, like earn your way to be heard. Like everybody else, you know, like some random white person walks up to my pastor. He's not gonna listen to them anymore than he would listen to me. I don't think at the church I go to, but he listens to me now because I lector. We volunteer to clean the parish and we do, you know, all these other things. And I'm like trying to hook them up with hallow. And you know, like, that's why I have like, I built a relationship and I feel like the people are sometimes I feel like some, I think the, the people of color sometimes get lazy and want to have it kind of be like a forced thing. And I think the, the white people who are controlling that and sometimes the white pastors are just like, well, let's just kind of check the box and, and get it done. It's like, you both could just put in a little bit more effort and this could be more organic and natural. And I think lead to better outcomes and less divided parishes. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I think you're right. And I also think that you have a very specific personality type That's true. Um, where like you will like step up and do those things. Um, and initiative is one of my strengths. Yes. And, and it's not everyone's. Um, and so I think, yeah. And, and for a lot of people, like it's, it's not even like a bad thing. It's just like differences in personality. Like some, some people, will do great. And, yeah. um, but, but they, they have to be asked, um, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think so, we have to do better at inviting. Yeah. And I, I think it's, yeah, I think church. you're definitely right. It's both like people could have more initiative, but, but for, for the pastor as, as like the pastor of the church, I think it's important for them to, to invite people right. and leaders just like, yeah, yeah, your, your OGs, your veterans at the church, like you have to be more inviting. I used to, I used to dog a lot of people when I'd be like, there should never be a time where I walk into your church as like, you know, uh, a 24 year old black man 
into a Catholic church and like nobody introduces themselves to me. And not just because of my race, but really more because of my gender. I'm like, you don't have a lot of young men here. Like, I'm like, all the old people are like, what? There's a young dude at daily mass. You know, I'm like, somebody should come say hello. You know, like maybe I have friends and like could like help revive this place. You know, that's obviously dying. And people just don't, the priests don't care. You know what I mean? They just go to the back after mass. They don't care. All the old people who are there, you're like, Oh, not always, but a lot of times it's like, they just don't care. And it's like, man or woman, white or black, you know, or brown, like you should be introducing yourself to these people, having lunch with them, you know, like, let's get coffee. I'd love to learn more about you. Like we're so bad at that. And and I think every time I talk about it, I'm like, I could be better at it too. Um, I have had the benefit of moving a lot, which helps me to like, you know, escape some responsibility. (laughs) I never get to be the veteran at the parish, but um, yeah, we're working on that. Someday I'll get to stay in the same place, but Anyways, I didn't want to, I don't know how we got on that. I do this every podcast. I talk about things that I didn't plan on. Um, so we just tried to solve ministry challenges uh, <laughs> for everyone out there, but let's go back to, I'd love to hear your, your, your thoughts, generally speaking on the Black Lives Matter movement, especially because I think you had an interesting experience versus mine because you would have went to college then what in 2018 was like your first fall. Yes. Yeah. So I graduated in 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm showing my age here. I'm an old man. <laughs> And so I, I, my first, my first fall was in 2011. And so I think if I'm not wrong, uh, BLM started in 2013, uh, which I think is like when it really was like, it was the Ferguson riots that they really like sprung out of, I think Trayvon Martin was before that. And then, uh, Mike Brown, um, in Ferguson and yeah. And so that all kicked off. So you, I mean, would have started like half a decade into like BLM existing. Uh, and then obviously you were in college and like in California during like the George Floyd riots and all of that stuff. So, yeah. um, first I'd love to, like, I'd love to know, have you ever gone to a BLM protest of any type in California? <laughs> I, have I you have ever not. thrown a Molotov cocktail, <laughs> um, or a rock at a police car? Um, no. <laughs> anything I'm not trying to like get you arrested by the way, but so only, only everything you say can, and will be used against you in the court of law. So, uh, yeah, I plead the fifth. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've never been to the closest thing I've come to a protest is the walk for life, which the walk for life is I've learned recently different from the March for life. And apparently the wording of those different titles is purposeful. Um, really? I didn't yeah. know that. I apparently, I don't know. I was told that recently, but yeah. So the one in San Francisco is the walk for life, West coast walk for life. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Mm-hmm. And so that what are your, tangent. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I love it. So no, no BLM riots. Uh, I mean, protests and what uh, are your general thoughts? Yeah. Like, and has your opinion on black lives matter uh, mainly talking about the organization. I think that you would agree that black lives matter as a statement. Um, I don't think you'd mark disagree on that on a, uh, on a survey, but, um, yeah, has it evolved or changed at all over the years? Yes. Um, yeah, I think, I think I didn't, yeah. Okay. Whole journey. Right. So, um, I would say, tell me and be not afraid. This is a place where you're a safe voicing your white opinion. I want you to know yes, that. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> all, all opinions are held <laughs> equally here on the CBS podcast. So have no shame. This is not Berkeley. Mm-hmm. All right. I want you to, you know, start going back yeah. and feel like I'm going to tell you. I mean, for, for me, it is Berkeley. Um, That's I'm true. You Berkeley, technically so. are. In <laughs> yeah, you might get a rock thrown through your window after this or something, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to discourage you from sharing. You won't throw a rock through my window. It won't Thank be you. me. That's I right. I appreciate it. You got it. 
Um, yeah, I definitely get like sometimes a little bit like I get a little bit nervous because sometimes I'll have the windows open and be listening to like Pints with Aquinas and like oh, I know people yeah. on the street can hear it. I'm like, anyways, that down. yeah, yeah, no, I don't. But yes. Um, yeah. So I think throughout. Yeah, I guess in the beginning um, of my college experience, uh, when I started to learn about like communism and like things that Marx said mm. and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I was on board. I was pretty on board. Um, I didn't know what the Catholic church taught about anything. Yeah. Not about anything, but about cool like Carl, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, but, but a lot of the things it's, it wasn't just like random, like it sounded Catholic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, what I always say about Marx is that his, his critique, his critiques of capitalism, I think are accurate. Um, and I think that his solutions are horrible. Mm. Um, and maybe not all of his critiques on capitalism, but I think a lot of them, like, I think, I think he identifies a lot of things. Um, yeah. and yeah, his solutions, not great, but Don't lead I, the great ends. Yes, no, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought, I thought that they did. Um, sure. and mainly because I don't know, there's this whole, like, the apostles were basically socialists because like they all like mm-hmm. blah, 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 whatever, which, Distribute, which is different. Yeah. yeah. is different because they were doing it like voluntarily and completely different circumstances and stuff like that. Um, but, but that was kind of my thought process. And so, um, BLM being Marxist, um, didn't super bother me. Um, yeah, because yeah, I think by that point I knew that you were the cool church- with Carl. Me and Carl were like this. Perfect. Um that was a plus one for you at the time. Plus oh, one. Yeah, it was a pro. Yeah. So I think I actually, it. yeah, by that time, yeah, I would say fall semester my second year is when I found out that the the church taught against communism. Hmm. Um, and it made sense, I guess. Like at first I was very like, I was kind of like, but it sounds so good. And like yeah, I had a friend who he was a rhetoric major here. Um, oh, and wow. both of you us got some great, some great majors there. Yeah. <laughs> Rhetorician. Rhetorician. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. So, so we, I don't know, we, we would joke that all liberal arts at Berkeley are the same basically. Um, sure. so, so yeah, we were both sold on communism and then he found out that the church teaches against it from, from his discipler with focus. Oh, and wow. He, yeah. Focus for the win. Yeah. Focus for the win. Um, and then he like told me and at first I was like, what? And we were confused, but anyways, so by this time I knew that communism was wrong, but, but I wasn't, I wasn't super phased by it because I, I understood it. Like I understood why it was appealing and I still do. Mm. Um, so I guess I, I tried to focus on that. Um, and so for, for BLM, I think a lot of the things that I would have, no, yeah, completely different. Okay. Yeah. I think at the time I was like, I understand the protests. I understand ruining property because all anybody cares about is money. And that's the only way to get people's attention. And like, like in 2020, this is, yeah, this is like George Floyd. Okay. Yeah. So, so during all of that, I was You're not like, burn on it board. Down, baby. <laughs> burn it down. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't like on board in that I would have encouraged it, but it was right. more like when, 
like conversations with, with my family and stuff like that. Like I do this super annoying thing where whenever <laughs> I'm talking to anybody, I, I like, yeah, <laughs> I like automatically switch my mindset to whatever's the opposite of whatever they're mm. saying. Little devil's um, advocate, as yeah, they say. Yeah. So I got a friend um, who does that. It is annoying. <laughs> yeah. I can't confirm. So yeah. that's good to know for everybody on the podcast. Anytime we do disagree throughout this conversation, you might not actually disagree with me. You might just yeah. be picking the other side. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'm doing better. I think I mainly do it. That's funny. I don't I don't know. Who do I like family for sure? Not anymore. I don't know. Okay, anyways, moving on. It can be fun. Like it's a good mental <laughs> exercise to do every now and then. Definitely best to like state that up front. I think it lowers tempers uh than just doing it. Um, so yeah, the <laughs> yeah. thing is that I'm not really playing devil's advocate. I'm like channeling the part of me that agrees with uh, I see. like kind I, of magnifying it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I think Interesting. that a biggest thing that was like super difficult for me and is it's I've sorted through a lot of things, but I'd be so torn on subjects. Like mm. I felt like I could see both sides so clearly um that I just had this internal like conflict. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Would you, where would you rate yourself as a, a indecisiveness from one to 10? Oh. Like as a human. <laughs> wow. I um, have right. my guess. I have my <laughs> guess, <laughs> but I want to know your, your answer. Yeah. I think, I think right now, maybe like, a, I'd say I'm a five now. Yeah. The um, time it took you to answer that. Uh, <laughs> give some of it away. I want you to know that. And so I think you took time that was past the five. Uh, yeah. I think at best you had like a four there. Uh, okay. 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 That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But I used to be a solid I gotta tell like you was, one. Yeah. So. <laughs> really funny watching you deliberate on the one to 10, very arbitrary, no consequences. Uh, answer. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yes. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. I think, but I, I think it's interesting how, you know, we were talking about that before too, of like, uh yeah everything from like internal processing to ex you know being extroverted introverted things like that but i think decisiveness is something that a lot of people don't have i think it's a learned skill to a certain degree obviously some people tend to be more than than others mm-hmm. um but yeah like decision making is just a skill generally speaking that i feel like a lot of people aren't taught mm-hmm. and i think it does keep a lot of people in the middle on a lot of things because it is like, I, I think one thing that's foolish and wrong on both sides is they really can never understand why the other side's appealing. Yeah. You know, and so that's a wall I often try to break down. Obviously, now I speak mostly to conservatives, but trying to share, like, this is why, like, BLM is appealing or, or like, trying to express, especially to conservatives in 2020, my side, what I was arguing was, like, when you just immediately shout back, all lives matter, you're not understanding that that person typically, especially a black person who's yelling black lives matter so passionately, like truly feels hurt. And they're being manipulated in my opinion, um, by the media, by celebrities, by, uh, you know, the government to believe that like black lives are truly hunted down and are being killed and like targeted by police officers, uh, which I don't think is true. And I think statistics back that up, but if you were convinced by so many prominent reliable sources that that was true, you be doing like, it's not, they're not that different from you, you know, and you just shouting all lives matter versus like finding some common ground before trying to like, you know, see where you can maybe uh, diverge their thinking a little bit is really foolish. And it's, it's selfish and it's uh, it's imprudent, you know? 
Um, and I think that people don't recognize that on both sides. It's like people who are super pro-choice and hate pro-life is it's like, do you not see? That's why I love Joe Rogan. I'm like, Joe Rogan really won me over like three years ago when I heard him talking about he's pro-choice, but he's talking about pro-lifers who get angry and upset. And he's like, do you realize they think you're literally killing babies? Like, like how, like if you believe that, would you not be livid? Like all, like you'd be like burning houses down. You wouldn't let anybody go to sleep. Like, you know what I mean? Like you'd be tearing the world down until it ended. He's like, that's what they believe. So it, it kind of makes sense for them to be upset. And I think we, we, we missed that. And I think as Catholics, we should be leading the way in, in compassion and understanding, you know? Yeah. I yeah. said a billion things again. I'm sorry, but no, back to great. yeah, back <laughs> to BLM, uh, in your thoughts. So 2020, you're like, burn it down. Uh, you're arguing <laughs> with your family, you know, back it up. You're like, you're donating to Kamala as she's like bailing out <laughs> rioters and things like that. That's yeah. That's another interesting thing, actually. Yeah. Ethnic studies majors are not pro Kamala for sure. Um, not pro Biden at all. Like really none of that. No, not Talk even at all. Talk to me. Yeah. This, yeah. See, this is what we, this is what we, this is what we got you in here for Kimberly. So give us the, give us a <laughs> lowdown. Uh, you're looking at somebody who I don't think I could be more anti Kamala. Uh, I think Joe Biden's just being abused right now. I think this man doesn't know what's going on. But um, Kamala, I think, very much does know what's happening. I think she's the worst. So, uh, yeah, tell me, tell me why the ethnic study majors don't like the first black vice president of the United States of America. Yeah, first black wow. female. Way to, way to word that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Were you a rhetoric major? <laughs> oh, I should have been. Um, Philosophy minor. Yeah? Yeah. I was. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. I wish I'd majored in it. I always say like, if I could go back, it'd either be that or political science or something like that. But um, yeah, I did uh, yeah. criminal justice minor in philosophy. For sure. Well, if you want to study philosophy and I, I know a grad school in Berkeley that you can That's go right. to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'd love to study in person. I've always been looking to move to California. So especially Southern California. Yeah. No, absolutely. Not. <laughs> <laughs> Just to vote against Newsom. This Anyways. Is, this is Northern California. <laughs> oh, is it really? I never knew yeah. that. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I thought you like lived areas. outside of Los Angeles. No, so I would say I grew mind. up. I grew up kind of outside of Los Angeles. Really? Uh, Berkeley. Berkeley's in Northern California. Six you serious hours right away. Now? Yeah, Northern California. Are you serious? Yeah, hour and a half from Sacramento. That's mind blowing. That's crazy. Yeah. So we were at uh, we were in San Jose for our Hallow annual silent retreat. Yeah. Went to San Jose, half. and then um, what's the uh, Apple location? Oh, uh, oh, Silicon Valley. Right? Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's like you're you're definitely right. Big Sur. It's like they're like they always do the photos, you know, like the backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. Big Sur. We went to Big Sur for the anyways. I'm sorry, I just derailed this a ton. But uh Black Lives or no Kamala. Tell me about the Kamala hatred from the, <laughs> the Kamala from hatred. your classmates. Uh yeah, I mean, uh it's it's really the same things that like that everybody else say, likes. Yeah. Dislikes. Um yeah, I think that. Yeah, generally, like ethnic studies majors don't like politicians for really? the most part. I mean, I like they're that. they're looking for revolution, um, mm. so so that's important to remember. <laughs> um, yeah. Which yeah, so so I guess like yeah, a lot of them will vote. They'll vote for like the what whatever they see to be the lesser of the evils. But mm. overall, like they don't like the system. Um, and politicians they see as like deceptive and manipulative and just playing off of yeah things like ethnic studies and wokeism like it's they see it all as performative mm. mm -hmm. the virtue signaling they see it yeah. for what it is that's really interesting yeah i think uh 
Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I often try to share that. Um, I do hold up Ron DeSantis to be a, a hero in my heart, uh, the governor of Florida. I do love him, uh, but I think every other politician pretty much, I think is, is not real, not a real human being. Um, yeah, but, strong words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. More or less, you know, they're like aliens slash robots. Right, right, right. Some lizard sorts. lizard or, people, right? Or, yeah, or like kind of like zombies. Like they just like, oh. like a body, no soul. Um, okay. Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like better functioning. Like, right. yeah, zombies 3.0 or something like that. You look at if you look at like a Nancy Pelosi, I feel like she has very like zombie like features. It's pretty easy to believe. Okay, so um, we're in the apocalypse already. Yeah, it's more happened. or less, more or less. Yeah. yeah, it's just more of a slow. It's more of a slow, slow burn. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No rapture. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. We're coming up. We're coming up on it. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, uh, yeah, to just to just hate the whole system. And I've always said that, like, I appreciate. Uh, even left-leaning people who are more like that. Like, I'm like, I could see, and I can understand I'm reasonable enough, even as a conservative, uh, to see why people would hate Donald Trump. I don't think that's a stretch of the imagination to be like, oh yeah, he's like, he's like, hate, he's a hateable guy. You know, um, what I don't understand is people who are like super passionate about Joe Biden or think that Kamala Harris like earned her way to where she is on anything other than like gender and skin color, you know, and like, some other things, if you look into her background uh, of just like relationships and people she's used along the way. Um, but yeah, so I, I do appreciate that. So look, I think I have more in common with gender stu- or not gender studies majors, but ethnic studies majors than I think. Did you run into a lot of, uh, like, we're kind of jumping around here, but did you run into a lot of like gender studies majors as well in like the ethnic studies kind of realm? And like the, they, I would assume, even though I, I would assume that ethnic studies majors would be a little bit different than the way you've described them. Um, but gender studies majors to me are like the, like the, the peak, you know what I mean? Like, that's like, if you're like woke and you'll be like super woke, maybe like, I would say like gender studies, women's studies and ethnic studies would be kind of my ranked order of like the mm-hmm. top three. Is that accurate? And like, what were the gender studies people like? Were they pretty wild? Yeah. So interesting. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> say that I encountered a lot of gender studies people, mm-hmm. although yeah, like, um, intersectionality is a big, big buzzword. Hell yeah. Um, so, so we talked about stuff like that a lot. Um, but right. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I really knew any gender studies majors. I also didn't, yeah, I didn't like hang around ethnic studies crowds really outside of like class. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Cause you make so, more Catholic friends and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but yeah. So I, I kind of have an idea of gender studies, uh, but I, yeah, I didn't really like talk to too many gender studies. Yeah. People, but I, I think I would agree. I think I would agree. Yes. Yeah. That, that's kind of the ranked order when yeah. you, and I talked on the phone, you talked about being more left leaning in your political views. So what of the, uh, gender studies ish, mm. like, where do you find like things you agree with things you disagree with and not gender studies, but let's say gender theory. Um, if you want me to like explain what I mean, but when I say that, um, I can. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So gender theory, in my opinion, is basically the push to, uh, renormalize, uh, gender is the way we see it, basically detaching it from biological sex and making it subjective rather than objective. Um, also like encouraging and normalizing, like transitioning from one gender to another, um, all the way going down to like encouraging transition among children, um, forcing parents to go along with their children's gender choices, 
not naming gender at birth. Uh, yeah, that kind that kind of stuff. So I, I guess that was the first time I ever tried to define it as I, I think about it, but that would be what I would describe gender theory as. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think to me, one last thing before you give your answer, I, the reason why I asked this after like prefacing it with you being more left-leaning is that to me, this is a massive movement within the left. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you talk about like the radical left, your AOCs. Um, and, and what's interesting, I think about the Biden presidency is that we're seeing that the radical left really is driving a lot of the left in general. Um, Biden has not been the return to normalcy or the moderate president that he like kind of campaigned on. Uh, which is kind of almost the opposite of what most politicians do. Usually you run to the fringes and, you know, pander to the extremes during the campaign. And then you kind of normalize as a president. He kind of did the opposite where he stood up there with Bernie and Kamala and all these extremists and kind of acted like I'm old grandpa Joe, you know, you know, I I used to hang out with Obama, you know, like I'm the normal guy. You guys liked me been around forever, you know, uh, and then just kind of does whatever AOC wanted to do now. Right. Or tries to push for a lot of those things. So to me, like, I, I think it's harder for me more and more to see people who claim to be left leaning that are like want to separate themselves from so much that seems to be like core uh, to the left. So, yeah, that's why I wanted to kind of share that. But what is your yeah. thought on gender theory? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know actually where I would describe myself on the political spectrum. I, yeah. One, one of the things I said, there's a great quiz that, you should take. Uh, that I found once. <laughs> I've taken it. I, oh, have I you? I, well, unless it's a different one, but yes, I There's think probably I took a time. when I was a senior in high school, which is an adventure, and then again, like a few, a couple years ago. But it, I'm sure it'd be completely different now. Sure. Um, but yeah, I I think yes, I comparatively to others um, in my family, I'm left leaning, and and in Berkeley, like nowhere near. Um, right. Yeah. And, <laughs> you're you're alt right in, yeah. in Berkeley. <laughs> honestly like not that bad no I know I'm just kidding (laughs) no I mean they don't think that like I feel like I feel like maybe I'd be I'd be slight right I don't know anyways sorry I get caught on things um sure yes so none of it I don't subscribe to any of it Uh, (laughs) interesting yeah zero percent yeah, zero, zero. I noticed I checked before this. I was curious. I was like, I wonder if Kimberly has her pronouns in her bio on Instagram and stuff like that. And I was really curious. So none of it. That's interesting. Yeah. So when uh, when identifying yourself as left, here's a good follow up question. What are the topics or the uh, issues that come to mind that make you say that you think you're more left leaning? Yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> i assume i assume you went to the walk for life so i assume you're pro-life i am yeah definitely pro-life you're pro-life you 100%. described zero percent of gender theory yes correct you are not a pro black lives matter organization individual no but i would say that yeah i mean i i don't like i think there are there are pieces of things in in like left ideology that yeah. that i agree with um and what would those I, be yeah okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yes i mean one of the things yeah is like like prison reform sure not necessarily like maybe i don't subscribe to like all of the solutions that people propose but like the what what do they call it the industrial prison complex the prison industrial yeah. complex yeah. yeah like i i agree with that 
Um, and uh, yeah, I, so maybe, maybe economics in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Are you pretty big, like welfare state supporter? No. And I would say, yeah, <laughs> I'm confusing. This is so funny. This is, this is incredible. You know, I, it's funny. Cause like, I, like I said, I didn't do a lot of homework or like bring up yeah. stats and stuff to watch this, but I did one of my favorite interviews that's ever happened on, on like, I don't know if they were live, but he, he, no, they weren't live, but he posted the whole thing. Do you ever watch or listen to Dave Rubin? Um, I only on pints with Aquinas. Yeah. I think oh, oh, I'm I thinking of the right thing. I think he was on there actually. Yeah, yeah. I think you're not wrong. Um, which is pretty crazy to think about, but, uh, yeah. So Dave Rubin, he's married to a man, um, mm. from California. Well, he's from New York, actually he moved to California, lived there for many years, just moved to Florida, uh, recently, but he had a great like conversation with Larry Elder. Are you familiar with Larry Elder? uh f- familiar enough oh, guess- to know that he would have run for governor yeah yeah that's yeah. right never mind never mind yeah of course you are you live in california <laughs> and so um yeah so they have a great conversation i'll send to you after this it's a it's, a, it's a, just a beautiful piece of art uh and like on that conversation like dave basically becomes conservative uh larry i mean much different than what we're doing for sure yeah, in yeah. That, like larry like destroys his arguments on anything that he brings up especially like race focused and he really does point to it. Dave does in his book, Don't Burn This Book. And in other times that it was like a pivotal conversation, a like moment in his life and his journey to like, he now, he claims that he's a classical liberal and that he, uh, that makes him in today's world, a conservative. Um, and he therefore like votes Republican, things like that. But um, yeah, you just saying like voting conservative on every, every of the five topics we just brought up. <laughs> Funny and gave me flashbacks <laughs> to 45 minutes ago when I was watching that <laughs> for yes, sure this is the sure. the title of this podcast should be uh Kimmy doesn't have stances on anything <laughs> <That's right. laughs> no. decisive yeah decisive yes. this one-on-one yeah so no so but you've decided because, though like I feel like you haven't said yeah. I don't know to the questions you've you've decided that you're on the yeah I know what I disagree with <laughs> yeah I think yeah that's good I think it's a good place to start. Ethnic studies and, and similar things. Like I took a lot of classes that weren't ethnic studies classes. Uh, I had like a lot of flexibility. Yeah. Um, but I would say a lot of the like kind of, yeah, poly econ type classes here and stuff like that. There's just a lot of criticizing things. Like it's a lot of criticizing everything. And it's like, how do all of these things have bad results? And like, let's look at that. Um, I took one class that was, it was something about like, it was like the current problems and hopes for the future was like the second part of the title was hopes for the future. And there was no hopes for the future until like the last class. And my professor was like, uh, maybe this, I don't know, (laughs) this could be good, but all of it was just like depressing. Um, that's that's how I was going to describe it. Yeah. That's how it sounds. (laughs) Yeah. It was a hard year. Um, (laughs) but yeah, so, so I think that that's why I like disagree with a lot of things and I don't have lots of, yeah, I wouldn't say like, well, I don't agree with solutions that exist a lot of the time. Yeah. Mm, I like that. Are you, uh, let me ask you this here. I'll give you another one. Are you uh pro like super open borders, like borders for oh, days, like question. let them all through? Like what's your, what's your vibe on immigration? Yeah. My vibe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my vibe. Um, I think that, yeah, I think I used to be, um, but I don't think that that makes sense. Uh, I think that 
my thought on immigration is that the United States is weird um, yeah. because, yeah, hot take. I'm like anti-American revolution um, mm. because I don't think it was a just war. Um, and so, so I think that's led to a lot of, a lot of problems. And, and this is one of them is like, like at what point do you draw the line, um, yeah. with immigration when, when, yeah, when this country happened the way that it did. Um, and right. so what, I guess, like, I want to say, what right do we have now to draw a line? Like it kind of doesn't make sense. And at the same time it's necessary. Um, right. so so yeah, I think definitely like not open borders, um, but I understand I understand the confusion and the criticism of that. Right. Yeah. So you're for like legal immigration? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like most people on the right. Uh, yeah, I love that. I, I love so. that. One thing, <laughs> one thing I want to point out, I think that you just made me think of there is that I think um, one thing that is, I think, uh, Dan Crenshaw put it this way. One of the biggest differences between liberals and conservatives is that like, or progressives especially is like progressives. When you ask them, like, what do you want? Uh, and it's like radical change. And it's like, when do you want it now? Mm-hmm. You know, and conservatives are like, what do you want? It's like gradual improvements, you know, and when do you want it? Like in due time, you know, mm-hmm. like that's the, one of the big differences and what I've come to appreciate and one of the things that I, I think I've had this debate a lot recently, you might've seen my post on Instagram about this, like kind of including the death penalty and like the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm very anti-death penalty in the United States. But one thing that I think is the more conservative approach when not really bringing it up is that like, we have, like, it's just the, the willingness that I've experienced of conservatives to be realistic and like accept reality for what it is now and try to like make it better in the future um, versus I feel like a lot of progressives who kind of just like you're saying in, in some of your classes, perhaps like criticize with no answers and like, look at how things should have changed in the past without like being willing to like actually like lead now, because mm-hmm. it's like, anybody can do that, right? Like anybody can, it's like the man in the arena, um, uh, from T- Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the great speech, um, that talks about like, it's not the critic who counts. It's the one who's in there marred with blood and sweat and dust, um, who will never be with those weak and timid souls that know neither success nor failure. Uh, like I, I've been really moved by that. And I think that that's one of the things that's so important is for people to recognize, like, yeah, I think you, you might have a great argument that you could convince me that it was not a just war, the revolutionary war, but it's like, what, like, what do we do now? Like we, yeah. we're here now, you know what I mean? Like we've, like, we might not agree with the foundings of America. Like obviously slavery was super involved and intertwined in that. Uh, well, not in the founding necessarily, but in the early history of it, um, not the foundings in, as far as the documents I'm saying. But mm-hmm. um, I think that you look at it now and it's like, we have created a lot of good. We've done a lot of bad, but I've also, I've always seen that like the people who are willing to acknowledge the good won't acknowledge the bad. Mm-hmm. And the people who want to acknowledge the bad won't acknowledge the good. And it's like, why can't, I think there's, I found the most reasonable people in the conservative movement who are willing to acknowledge both, while I still admit there's a lot of conservatives who aren't willing to acknowledge the bad. And the, like the constant, like, uh, consequences have come from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that that's so important for people to realize is like, one of the things that's so, so crucial is like, if we think there should be change, like we're like, it's a country, like we have 330 million people, you know, we, we have a, a, a vibrant and robust middle-class that never existed in human history before. And that's largely attributed to capitalism. 
and the founding principles of like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And like, I think that we're, we owe a lot of debt to like us being able to Zoom right now and me having a podcast and having my heat on and you know what I mean? <laughs> having dual monitors and a MacBook Pro and an iPhone um, and a refrigerator and like many other things and conveniences to capitalism um, and just being able to like live this great like middle class life that we get to live in America um, while still being being willing to like do some of the things that ethnic study classes, I think, do in criticizing the way things are, the way things have been. And trying to not repeat history, but think of creative ways of how we can improve going forward, you know, which it just seems like people are generally unwilling to do. Um, and they want this kind of radical change, but it's like, what, like, what, how do we not just divulge into chaos? And I feel like that that's never answered. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, it was difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting because Yeah. I think that there's a lot, yeah, like you said, like, like, what do we do now? Um, and especially in like, yeah, there's, there's all these conveniences that we have, like we have these laptops and we have, yeah, the ability to do this. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, would it be better if we didn't? Um, and I think, I think, yes, like not that, everything would be better if we couldn't have this conversation. Um, but I think overall, like there would be more conversations. There'd be more talking about things if we didn't have like computers and, and stuff like that, which, um, yeah, is, is another like Marxist thing, which is interesting is like, he says, um, all that solid melts into air, which Mm. is, um, one of the ways I heard it described was like, basically the things that were made to be more useful, like to help us do better, um, end up doing the opposite. And cell phones are, are a big part of that. It's like, they were supposed to help yeah. us like talk to each other and communicate and, um, things to be more accessible. And what it actually did is the opposite. And we're always plugged in and we never stop working and we don't talk to people. Um, and so, yeah, and there's all of that. And then, like you said, like, what do we do now? Um, how do we right. make good of these things and how do we like set up boundaries for ourselves? That way we don't let it become that. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I think cultural issues are big behind a lot of that and mm-hmm. a lot of like making it worse, you know, because I think that when you think of the average, like secular household, I think they're much more like entrapped in that than like, I think of like a homeschool Catholic family with six kids they do get a lot of face-to-face time typically, you know what I mean? Like these people who have like maintained traditional values, but I also think they often still have iPhones because it's like convenient and you can learn a lot from that. And there's like a lot of great things that come along with it too, you know? And so I think it's, it's an interesting thing that uh, I think the tools and like progress you make it like technology wise in society can be used for good or evil. And like the devil is obviously, we know as Catholics, like the devil's quick to step in and and make any new, you know, advancement that we make, like make the negative outcomes three times what the positive outcomes are mm-hmm. if we're not careful. And I think as a society, we've pushed God largely out of the picture. And so we do see like solely negative outcomes of these things. Same thing could be said for capitalism. You know, it could have been this like great, beautiful thing um, that just changed the world for the better. And we've had a lot of greedy people. We see a lot of greed, as you and I have talked about before uh, in, in the medical industry and in, in healthcare we see greed in, in prison reform, you know, it could have been that capitalism would have made prisons better for prisoners, you know, like it might've been a more positive thing, 
um but there's greed involved in like humanity and it's broken and stuff like that so yeah it's a tough it's a tough thing to balance for sure last two last two questions for you uh what is your stance this is completely off topic what is your stance on gun control <laughs> oh wow um yeah i think i just want to continue I, to see how conservative you are yeah i think i think you've you've hit something this is um, one of them I don't like guns. You straight up Beto um, O'Rourke on me right now? No, like I'm not like whatever. I get it. Like <laughs> I get people like having guns and like like self defense. I guess like, but it makes me super uncomfortable. Um, mm. And so that's something that through through many arguments with many people, um, I've I've adjusted my stance on a bit because I used to be just like yeah, pretty against guns, like just no guns. Mm. I just don't, don't like them, don't want them. And then I realize that the world doesn't revolve around me. Um, but, but yeah, That's so, true. so I think that, yeah, they make me really uncomfortable and mm. also like, yeah, I don't have to have one. Um, I, I think I, I think that laws should be stricter in some senses and, and maybe California is doing okay. Like I know California is pretty strict on things, um, with guns. Uh, yeah, I don't think that. Yeah. And, and constitutionally, I don't think the constitution really like guarantees gun rights. Mm. I would say, um, I think that, yeah, there's, there's like a certain level of like, like right to bear arms. Uh, but also, the context is like completely different. Um, sure. In that it was like a right to bear arms so that like you could overthrow your government or like so that your government couldn't control you. And that's not the same intention right now. Anyways. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I think that's interesting. You know, I think uh, I, I often hear that. And I think one thing that's interesting within that is I think a lot of times people will say, uh, you know, guns have, have changed so much. Right. And like a, an automatic, like an AK 47 is much different than a musket. And I think what's interesting in that too, is that like the government only had a musket back then too. Like, so like yeah. people were able to have what the government was able to have. And I do think while everybody always says, and like, I know Joe, old sleepy Joe loves to point out, you know, that you can't fight like a, an Apache helicopter with a, an AR 15. And like, I recognize that for sure. Mm -hmm. I do think that in world history, and even today in certain countries, you see less stupid stuff happening from the government when people have guns. You know, even though we don't have reg well-regulated militias, we don't have those types of things. Like if they wanted to get really dumb, you know, like I think police officers know. And, and I think we've we've lost a lot of good cops over the last two years, uh, over the last seven years, really, like since BLM became like really, really thick and mm -hmm. being a cop became the worst job in America. I think we've we've lost a lot of good ones in an effort to in an effort to get rid of the bad ones. We've actually got rid of a lot of the good ones with vaccine mandates and um, uh, yeah, just this absolute hate that they deal with, you know, the ACAB stuff. Uh, so you have a lot of bad ones. And I think a lot of them still kind of realize, like, if we wanted to, like, go through with, like, some of this tyrannical stuff, like these people have guns and it's a deterrent. You know, I think it is uh, on just like a a basic level, you know, having been somebody who it's like, I was in the infantry, I was in Afghanistan. Like, I know that like, if you play the place has guns, you go into it differently, even if it's just a man with a pistol, you know what I mean? It's like still, like, you could die going in there versus yeah. the whole country's gun free. You see places like Australia and how stupid they got with like COVID lockdowns and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like every, like, the Nazis did that. Like you see a lot of uh, tyrannical governments like remove guns before taking over, 
you know, yeah. and like really pushing through some bad stuff. So I think, yeah. I think it's interesting, but I think there's some strong, I think there's some strong points on both sides. And I've always supported reform and making sure that we get guns in the hands of the right people. Um, you know, I think that that's a conversation that really both sides are open to. I just think that there's one side that's like very open to none. Yeah. Which yeah. side? Uh, I would say the le- the, the, the left side, ma'am. <laughs> the left side. Uh, yeah, Joe no. I, We're going to take that... your AR-15, Beto. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Beto, I... bro. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> He's the worst. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I've obviously never been in that situation. And so, sure. yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. So we got your vote on gun control. Great. I'm full, yeah. I'm going to be full conservative by the end <laughs> of this. <laughs> you already are. Yeah. It's not, we just, it's just like, uh, you know, when they talk about like the church, the church's stance on certain things, like the church never had a stance on IVF, like in vitro fertilization because it never had to say it before. But once it became a thing, it's like the church technically always had that stance. It just has like manifested itself now, you know, like present times, yes. like that's, that's what's happening right now. That's what's I, happening. This, yeah. you're not, you're not being, this is the conversion experience. Just like, you're making me make decisions. It's just explicit. Yeah. It's just become, the implicit has become explicit. Hot I love it. <laughs> last, last question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> another thing that I think is really pivotal to the left that I think is a difficult thing that I think a lot of Catholics, especially I have this whole pause there. I have this whole book idea that I want to write one day on like Catholics, especially, but Christians in general um, and really just Americans in general who have witnessed a lot of things that are happening right now. And if you went, if anybody went to daily mass yesterday, one of my favorite readings, and it was actually the reading is when the prophet Nathan goes to King David and he gives him this whole story. Like it's like a whole analogy, right? And he's basically being analogous to David's sin without telling David that it's representing his sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah and all that stuff, like horrible stuff, adultery, murder. And at the end of it, he, he, you know, David's all pissed. He's like, that man should be dead. You know what I mean? By the, as the Lord lives today, like bring him to me, like we will have him killed. Like that's horrible. And he's like, that man is you, you are that man, you know? And I have this whole like book idea, uh, you know, I think I'm going to write in like five or 10 years and probably get killed for it um that talks about that you know that i think a lot of people who are just kind of like complicit now and just like we talked about earlier like put the put the pronouns in the bio i don't really believe it i post the black square even though i don't really believe it i do all these things yeah it's fine like the things are getting more woke yeah what they're doing with kids it's not that bad 16 19 who cares and it's like like before you know like we're done right like yeah we'll give up all the guns like like we just kind of like go down the checklist right it's kind of just like one thing at a time um I think a big one for that is this next topic, which is the first amendment and free speech. So I know college campuses obviously are like not free speech zones uh, in many parts of the country. I don't know what Berkeley is like specifically, but uh, the freedom of speech, freedom of the press, all that kind of stuff. Like, I think it's one where we get into this like cancel culture idea um, and call it accountability. You know, there's like, um, like the demand for accountability, there's no mercy or forgiveness in most of these cases when you talk about like celebrities, politicians and stuff like that for cancel culture. But what is your general take on like free speech? Do you support it? I think it's one of the biggest things that gets a lot of classical liberals to join the conservative movement because they're like, nah, these leftists are wild with it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like when you get to, I heard Ben put it a really interesting way reading this book recently. He said that it started with just a push for tolerance then it became words of violence. So if you said something that was contrary to somebody, like you were causing them harm, physical harm, mm-hmm. and then it became silence is violence. So now it's, 
if I come up to you and, you know, have a bat in my hand and you're at dinner in, in Berkeley and I'm like, say black lives matter, or tell me your pronouns or like, say you believe in gender theory, like at the threat of violence, more or less, like it's justified almost because you're silence and like, not actually like actively participating in this, this transition, this, you know, revolution is, is violent. Um, so it's interesting how it increases. Obviously, we talk about slippery slopes and stuff a lot on the right side. But um, yeah, tell me about your thoughts on on the First Amendment. Yes. And free speech in general. I will interrupt my thoughts with a different thought, which is that it's actually not considered woke to make people um, say their pronouns um, because some some people aren't comfortable with that and you have to respect that. Um, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah. So, so like, I didn't, it's a bad example. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. It's just like another interesting thing where it's like, yeah, like people want you to do it, but it's like, they don't push a certain thing because it's like, ah, I shouldn't do that either because everything, nothing's wrong. But that can change next week. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. Okay. So so my thoughts on free speech. Um, Yeah. I think in some ways, I'm against free speech, but in the opposite sense. Um, Interesting. So, so yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think that, yeah, it's, this is actually a difficult one for me because I think there's a lot of things I, I feel similarly with freedom of religion in that I think that everyone should be free to be Catholic Um, Mm. but I think freedom of religion, religion and free speech open the door to lots of things, um, that I, I don't think should, should be okay. Mm. Um, and part of that is like, yeah, there's like, um, I guess like prime example, Satanism, um, and, and even that like making way for abortion because, um, whatever the, the satanic temple, is like this is this is part of our religion, which is crazy. Yes. Right. Anyways, I heard and you it talk really about is. that also. Yeah. 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 Like child sacrifice and stuff. Yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah. And so has so, been like since forever. Yeah. Yeah. And so they they've like taken arguments to court where it's like, like this is a religious practice, like abortion in the first trimester is. And everybody's like, wow, this is great, because they all think that like Satanist is like satire. Um, like in a sense, it's like, it's like all about individualism and it is, but that's like actually Satanism anyways, it's a whole thing. Right. And I think it's a very interesting and strong perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You just made me think of another question. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's super interesting because like a lot of this goes into Freemasonry, which I won't like get into Mm. too much, um, because that's a lot. That's a whole nother podcast. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) But I think, you know, like, like, I don't know, call me a conspiracy theorist, but like our founding fathers were Freemasons. Masons. Yeah. And, and Freemasonry like is Satanism. And so like the fact that that freedom of speech and freedom of religion have led to these things is like, shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. And I think another, another thought is that like Berkeley is like the freedom of speech place. Like there was like a whole protest around free speech in the seventies. And that like had a lot, I, I actually don't know if that was directly like connected to the protests that, um, led to ethnic studies being created, the ethnic studies department. Yeah. Um, But it was like same time period. And we have like 
on campus, there's free speech cafe, which is dedicated to that protest. And like, wow. there's like stairs that are named after the guy. I wish, I don't know what they are. Cause I don't have school spirit. Um, but Dang. they're like, they call the stairs, like whatever they're, they're like his name. They're named after him. Um, that's wild. And, and that was pro free speech. Yeah. And, wow. and I think that in a lot of ways, like, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm just so unsurprised that that free speech has led to, to this because it basically like allowed the tides to turn. Um, so that like, like what was a fight for freedom of speech, which would be like, like, we should be able to say like these gender ideologies and stuff like that. And, and like, we should be able to like practice these like, like demonic things, um, has turned into like now it's shifted to like cancel culture and anti-free speech and it's like how convenient um anyways yes that's really interesting interesting yeah so what i think what i think is interesting in politics is i think a lot of times especially on the right what i've seen is that there's often a disagreement between libertarians and conservatives Mm -hmm. um and what's really interesting about you usually i feel like people who are like left typically become more like classically liberal, which is really kind of leads into like libertarianism Mm -hmm. and they're pretty close, pretty comparable. I think like classical liberals and libertarianism, but you went even further to the right and actually made a very like concert, like you just made a religious conservative argument. (laughs) That's why we should have everything. You just talked about. Okay. So I'm conservative, whatever. Like a theocratic uh, worldview, uh, which is pretty incredible to listen to and just like watch you give, knowing uh you know what i've what i've come to know about you in about three hours of conversation over my lifetime mm-hmm. uh, so yeah so that's that's a very interesting take what i think uh i i what i struggle with that is it is a difficult one and i think you just gave a very ethnic studies approach of like criticizing it very well i think but where i struggle and i 100 percent agree with everything you said my only struggle is obviously i think in like a utopian world we just live in like uh, you know, Vatican City would just be like a huge nation and we'd all just like live there as Catholics and we would make it illegal to say things, you know, or, or you know, like you'd have limited free speech or limited freedom of religion and things like that. Um, but it's like, how do we develop a society with so many diverse groups of people mm-hmm. without having those things? But then, yeah, I think, but they do kind of go to destructive ends. It's, it's kind of a, it's an impossible question. Time to learn about the different um, Catholic rights. RIT. Is that what you think would be the solution? I think so, because it's like, yeah, like, I don't know. There, there are obviously lots of similarities and like same, same foundations, um, same like dogmatic teachings, um, but just completely different ways of, of thinking about it. And like, yeah, like they're not necessarily usually huge fans of Thomas Aquinas and, and they have like different ways of thinking about like, things that that i would say um like the the western the latin right um because that would it be called i don't know but i believe so yeah like the ways that that we think about and interpret the the teachings that are infallible mm. um which is yeah interesting and they have different ways of practicing they have different art and like yeah right iconography mm-hmm. and stuff all right now actual last question uh Cause we've gone super long, which is great. Um, but this is, so we just debated this like extensively. This is, this is going to sound really weird. 
Um, we we spent like two and a half hours like debating like political topics and ideas at uh, my bachelor party. That's what we like enjoy doing. Over <laughs> I'm not coffee. surprised. Yeah, yes. it was a Saturday morning, so my friends uh-huh. were like me, um, and we had this whole long debate on like, and you can explain your answer, but I want to know like first, like you receive a bill, like United States of America, you get to vote on it as an individual. Okay. Making pornography illegal. Do you vote yes or no? Yes. Dude, you're. <laughs> You're so like you're so like you're so right. You might even be further right than me. <laughs> I would vote yes on it as well. It okay, was I was like, would you vote no? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, I think uh, it's because yeah, I'm anti freedom of speech. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what made me think of it when you were talking about all this. I'm like, you're giving religious conservative politics right now. I uh, think. Pretty, yeah, I would say my way of thinking about things is yeah. is what's different. Um, I guess my, my approach to thinking about the things. And like you said, like I gave a very like ethnic studies argument for the super conservative thing. Like that's, that's kind of what what I I do now, I guess. Yeah. That's what I think it is. I think you, you're a skeptic, but you're an honest one. I think the, you, you, this, this, I, in some way brings us all the way back to the first thing I wrote down that you talked about was, uh, kind of like talking about like relative, uh, relativism at the beginning. And like your search for truth, like you started mm-hmm. to actually like search out the truth. And I think it was something that your friends, when you talked about becoming Catholic and, and you were at that camp or mission trip, and they were like, why would you want to do that? And if your, your relationship with Jesus is fine, why not do this? And you talked about the sacraments, but I think the real thing is like, you cared about the truth. Like, it wasn't just like, what do I prefer? Well, you didn't, you graduated from caring about your preference to caring about the truth mm-hmm. and what's eternally, you know, true. And that's what I feel like is like you as a person, from what I can tell, you know, it's like you have this great skepticism, which is beautiful and awesome. And you've been formed in, in how to think and how to pick apart things. Um, but I think in your pursuit of that, which is what I attribute a lot of my journey to conservatism too, is like, yeah. I doubt it. And I, I wiped the slate clean and I evaluated both sides. And I still try to with this open mind if I can now, um, definitely like becoming more and more biased. And I think that you could say Catholicism is a bias in a sense, you know, that's the lens through which we see a lot of these issues. Um, but you have that skepticism, but you also, unlike a lot of ethnic studies majors are rooted in this like desire for truth that leads you to a certain direction and gives you kind of a bias or a kind of a starting point for a lot of things that you already kind of stand in a certain direction. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I think like, really, I think that's what dialogue's about and, yeah. and so just- Yeah. I know yeah. that hurts. That hurts. I haven't <laughs> registered as a Republican yet either. If it makes you feel any better. Cause I still feel some yes. type of way about it, but yeah, um, no, I'm planning on it, but uh, yeah. I think like if I ran, I would run as a Republican, but okay. um, I would have my issues and like state those clearly. I think about a lot of Republican stuff, Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's awesome. I think it's uh, it's so cool. Yeah, that we we kind of you know grow and change, and I think I have a lot of respect and appreciation for your journey too, because I think too few people ever change their mind on something that matters, mm-hmm. you know. And you have on on multiple things, which shows that you're open. I think in the future too. A lot of times, I think people look at people like you and me, who are converts to Catholicism, or and I'm not saying we're open to leaving the church, but we also you know have made a lot of changes in our political stances, and people will be like, "Well, now you're closed-minded." And it's like, dude, I'm not. Like I just, yeah. I just genuinely like feel like I, I, when you find the truth, like you should settle on it. And I think that's mm-hmm. the one thing that a lot of colleges fail people on is they kind of just teach them to be like ever uncomfortable and yeah. ever unsatisfied. And it's like, you don't have to be that even as you're, ser- you're searching for 
truths and, and, and you're, you know, uh, discerning and learning in so many different topics, you still go to mass on Sunday and have some sense of, I can be settled in this while I'm still trying to learn and grow and figure other things out. You can like still have some truth that you're resting in, you know, that you can kind of like relax. And you wonder why people are so suicidal and mental health issues and all these other things. It's like, they're just constantly unsettled, which is a horrible way to live. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like St. Pope John Paul II, like we have freedom for a reason and, right. and there's, there's an end to it and freedom for freedom's sake is sad (laughs) because it's like, we're always searching and and we never find anything. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is is awesome. So I really appreciate it. I mean, this has been so good to hear your thoughts and um, yeah, I learned a lot. Yeah. Obviously of, of the UC Berkeley student experience of the, of the history of free speech at UC Berkeley uh, that was big. I learned about the geography of UC Berkeley. I literally would have bet $10,000 that it was in Southern California uh, before this. So I'm glad I didn't do that. Um, and yeah, most importantly, we learned that you're a religious conservative, just like many of us. So we did fail on the CBS podcast. I thought we were going to disagree more and like only have some. I, yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, there were some things we disagreed on. We just, we just didn't focus on them. That's true. Maybe that's, I think I got so excited once I realized you were conservative <laughs> that I didn't want to have an interconservative debate. I wanted to just <laughs> highlight like, that. Like that's not what know? we came here for. Yeah. You know, like I wanted to have a conservative liberal debate, but I didn't want to have a conservative conservative debate. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so once I realized that's what was happening, I'm just like, yeah, let's just agree for an hour and a half, you know, which yeah. is what uh, we, we did the majority of the time doing, which is fun. But yeah, I think it's great. But I think what's cool about this too you know, kind of like jokes aside, even though I love, I love jokes is seeing like that you, you and I, like I would have, like it would have been easy for either one of us really. I mean, you could have done like a racial thing, like not being racist, but like, just been like, Oh, you know, he's, he's a tattooed black dude. Like maybe he's uh, you know, pretty liberal. Like have we not known each other, gotten to know each other, or you listened to me before this, you know, and I could have done the same thing, seeing your LinkedIn bio and been like, had like all these preconceived notions and been like, yeah, she's probably like radical pronouns, like all the, you know, and just assumed all these things. Um, but cool to see that. I think it's easy to make those assumptions, but here we are a gender studies uh, or ethnic studies grad woman and uh, young black registered Democrat man, you know, talking about these things and agreeing on a lot of these topics. Um, obviously going back to two, what we shared with the, different ethnicities within the church were, were united mostly in our Catholicism and our love for the truth, mm-hmm. you know, which is should yeah. always be what unifies, I think, and centers us. Amazing stuff. God bless America. Um, <laughs> we want to thank you all Hopefully, for listening maybe. to this podcast today. Uh, yeah, we're probably a little bit different on our pro America's answers, but that's okay. We'll talk about <laughs> next time. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you learned something today. I know I learned a lot. Uh, Kimberly, thank you again for for joining me for this conversation. It's been really great. And so we want to encourage everybody out there, obviously, always strive for excellence, uh, strive to be your very best. And uh, if you listen this long, God bless. We really appreciate you. <laughs>